Greetings, my friend, and welcome to Beyond Curious, conversations with brave adventurers like yourself that are taking voyages into the unknown to satisfy their curiosity, fulfill their purpose, and bring their ideas to life. I'm Brandon Fong, and I so appreciate you for being here, and I'm beyond excited to introduce you to today's guest, Jonna Lee. What do you, what are your core values as a human being? How do you want to show up? What do you want your lived experience of running your business to look like? What is the impact and effect that you want to have in the world? And is there a segment of society that you feel really passionate about when you create that transformation for them? These are things to get clear on first before going out and asking yourself the question, what business model is going to make me money? Man, oh man, as always in this episode, you're going to learn so much, but I would love for you to look out for these three specific things. Number one, who is Pirate Jana and Dinosaur Onesie Jana? Very important questions that you will find the answers to in the beginning. Number two, what the magic vending machine is in your business and what it's costing you if you don't have it under control. And number three, be on the lookout for what Jana calls her e HV tool. Super excited for you to use that one. So if you're listening to this and you're wondering who is Jonna Lee, well, let me tell you that the most important thing, obviously, is that she's one of my best business friends. And actually, at the time of this recording, I'm going to meet her in person for the first time on Sunday in Park City, Utah. We're going to go hang out and do some hiking. So that's why she's so amazing. I'm not even going to read her bio. Just kidding. That sounded really egotistical and gross. But uh, I love Jonna. She's amazing. And I'm super excited for you to meet her because we wanted to have her on the show for a while. But now that beyond Curious is live. I've been wanting to feature in this way. So let me read her official bio. Jonna Lee has over four years of experience as a COO and operations consultant for digital startups. She helps founders scale their business and scale themselves out of the day-to-day by training their operator to become the second in command. Her mission lies in transforming purpose-based businesses into vehicles for growth and good. And I, my self-proclaimed title that I've given Jonna is that she is a ops ninja. So you're going to learn a lot about ops, how to create watertight operations and what this means, because it is kind of a fuzzy topic. And so I would highly encourage you to check out this episode if you want to have a well-running, well-oiled machine of your business that empowers you to stick inside of your zone of genius and not be overwhelmed by all the other stuff that could be potentially going on. So with all that said, please enjoy this conversation with my friend, Jonna Lee. Jonna Lee, the human that I would say has a brain that is like my twin, my dear friend, this long time in the making. I'm so, so excited to have you on the show. This is going to be so much fun. <laughs> oh my gosh. Likewise. We've been, we've been wanting to set this up for quite a while. I'm excited it's here. And here we are, and here we are. And so, of course, the natural place to start has to do with dinosaur outfits, right? Um, so naturally, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so as I was as I was preparing for this conversation, I was thinking about some of the best conversations that we've had. And and yeah. one of the conversations we hopped on and the screen turns on and John is sitting inside of a dinosaur onesie. And in, in that particular conversation, which was so good, one of the things that we <laughs> talked about was pirate Jana. So I guess I guess we're talking about dinosaur onesies and pirate Jana. But I thought this yep. would be a great place to start because I think this shows a little bit about who Jana is in in different contexts. So who is pirate Jana? And maybe share a little bit about the concept of how that was developed. <laughs> totally, totally. Um, actually, it's so 
funny because Pirate Donna made an appearance literally two days ago. We were doing a, a river flow trip. The theme was pirate prom. And I have all these spy glasses now because that's my logo. So I was able to bring spy glasses for everyone. It was great. Um, pirate prom, dino prom, or, or pirate prom, dino onesie. I would say it's all the same genre, which is like the genre that loves to infuse fun into whatever it is that she is doing. And the reality is, Brandon, like I see my business and my work and the work that I do with my clients. I see my friendships and the way I show up. Like, you know, we were floating on a river through a desert canyon. Like, but the reality is, is like both of those are equally true expressions of me. I'm just in two different contexts where the best of me that could be brought to the table in service to that moment looks slightly different. Sometimes the dino onesie is the move when that is what what I can bring of most service and value to that situation is fun and silliness and a great onesie to keep me warm while we're going spring skiing. Sometimes the best thing I can bring is uh, being a supportive coach or a accountability partner or a uh, a good friend and mentor, right? Like for me, it's all about what does this person need that I'm able to provide and how can I infuse an authentic component of myself into that situation, even though on the surface, that looks like very different people and like, who the heck is this chick? Mm -hmm. I love that. And I, I love this conversation that we had had because I think you and I had agreed. We, we talked about our high school experiences. We don't necessarily yeah. have to go there, but like you and I kind of bonded over this fact that like we were, we were very much so chameleons growing up where mm -hmm. it's like, yeah. we could be someone different in each group. And the question is like, what's the authentic version of me? Right. Yes, but like totally. this, this concept that you've been able to think about and silo out, like, okay, I'm, I am pirate jhana right now, but that doesn't mean that I'm inauthentic, right? Like I'm authentic right. in whatever way that I step up to the plate. And by at least like, and you're in the way that you've done it, which I love, and I need to do this for myself is like naming and labeling and having fun <laughs> with those yeah. different versions of you. Because I think that having thought through that, it empowers you to show up in those relationships in a way that is still authentic. Uh, but it's also coming from the place of like all these different versions are me, right? And I'm not yeah. acting inauthentic as a result of that. Yeah, absolutely. I think where we where the metaphor we landed in that conversation for that really resonated with me was like a an uncut gemstone. Like depending on what angle you look at, that could look like a totally different rock, but it is all the same entity. It's just about like what facet of it is best catching the light in that moment. And so that's really where I see like these various elements of my personality, which I had a, struggled with for a long time, reconciling and and identifying who is Jana, what is the core me. And I've come to peace with the fact that I can show up in a lot of different ways to different people. And that's not an inauthentic thing to do. Uh, that is me being of my most authentic service, which could look different depending on the context. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I, I love too how intentional, because like it's very clear to me as you and I have continued to talk over the years, how intentional you are about building a business around being that authentic version of you, right? That that totally. like serves as a, a vehicle for you to express yourself. And so this may or may not, I don't know if you would have labeled this as, as pirate Jana, but I always love giving anyone that's hanging out with us a glimpse into the early version of you, that early childhood yeah. genius. And I heard this hilarious story the other day that may be a non sequitur, but I'll figure out a way to, 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 to fit, it, fit it in. Let's go. Uh, you got called into the principal's office in kindergarten. <laughs> yeah. uh, what were you doing and why did that happen? <laughs> Oh man. Okay. So the first thing to know is that I was the biggest goody two shoes, total know-it-all, total straight edge. Ah, oh, and the one time, the one time I got called into the principal's office in my entire life, 
was in kindergarten because there was this little red dress and I loved this red dress and I wore this red dress every single day. But I was also just a wild child. I grew up in the mountains of Colorado. I didn't wear shoes. I didn't brush my hair. Laundry day was like a whole thing in my house. Like I didn't like it. <laughs> and this little red dress, it was this big billowy dress. And one day in kindergarten, I went upside down on the monkey bars and classic, I was not wearing underwear. And that was the one time that my teacher was like, all right, we're going to the principal's office just so that you can have a conversation around why underwear is important and we're going to get you a pair of shorts. And then I wore those shorts for like the next three years. They were a great pair of shorts and that really worked out for me. <laughs> I, I love that. And Okay, so here's how I'm going to attempt to tie this in because I think that yeah. one of the things that you, you and I have talked about is like is is being very transparent and very putting in a lot of effort in identifying that truest version of you and integrating it in. And one of the, no, one of the core values that I know that you have is play like a nerd. Um, and yes. I almost feel like that was like the earliest version of play yes. like a nerd is like you were yes. just being you, you were playing. So I'd love for you to maybe share some of your core values, maybe play like a nerd or maybe some of the other stuff, because I think that, that yeah. it'll just show that full circle of how you've come to like who you always were to the way that you show up in your businesses today. Yeah, totally. And I think actually that's a beautiful core value in the context of this conversation, because when I was young, I think I was 80% nerd, 20% play. Like I actually didn't learn how to play very well. I didn't learn how to have fun, but also be serious and take my life serious. Like I think I've always been a pretty serious person. And so for most of my my childhood, I would say I was mostly serious. Like I was not necessarily much fun to be around. I was very bookish. I was very, again, the know-it-all like teacher's pet. And it wasn't until college that I got around other high performers who were insanely talented, smart people, but also played extremely hard that I learned how to actually bring like Pirate John back to the table, which I think was a, a part of me that I hadn't nurtured for a long, long time since early childhood. And I was finally able to bring those two pieces into harmony and balance. And I think my professional career post-college is really a reflection of that. Like I started my first business while traveling in a van in South America. And I start and I run my current company, but sometimes I show up to work with a dino onesie, right? And being able to bring cohesiveness to all of that is what has turned this business into something that is truly a joy for me to run and lead and be a part of. And I try and bring that to my team as well. So play like a nerd, like every week we go around and we share what's one thing that you absolutely nerded out about this week and how can we celebrate that? Because we want to be a place where people are applauded for being passionate and nerdy about their roles and what they bring to the table, not made to feel smaller for that. So mm -hmm. play like a nerd is one of our big core values. My other core values are commit to your own potential, which is the, the act of always, every single day, trying to take one step closer to the future version of yourself that you know is like the most embodied, most expressed, highest service version. And how can we always not compare ourselves against others and be in competition with others, but be in competition with ourselves and who we are capable of becoming. Um, so commit to your own potential, own your opportunities, which in my mind really means like own your mistakes, own your failures, own the mishaps, because when we take ownership for those things, we give ourselves the opportunity to learn and to grow and to do better. And when we place blame or fault on somebody else, we rob ourselves of that opportunity. So blame and fault are two words that have been absolutely banned from my company vocabulary. Nobody's allowed to use them because I find them to be useless. And then the fourth uh, core value, which would require a bit more explanation is called the van talk. 
but the short version is that it is a radical honesty core value about how to give and receive critical information and sometimes constructive feedback through the lens of this is an act of love and service as opposed to a personal attack. Mm, I love that. And I want to zoom in on van talk actually, because I think you okay. said it, you said it in passing that you lived in a van for it several did. years. And so I, obviously there's so much gold that's going to be had in this conversation about ops, but I want to, mm. I want to talk a little bit about how we got to this world. So I know that I would love you to maybe share a little bit more about what was going on in your life that caused you to, to travel for two and a half years. And I think that yeah. kind of overlaps a little bit with your entrepreneurial journey. So I'd love for you to maybe share that. Yeah, totally. That is where I got my start. So I was working at a nine to five office job. I lasted a grand total of two months in that job because I hated nice. it so much. <laughs> um, but at the time, my boyfriend had this idea of moving into a van and he asked me to join him. And I said I would, but only on the condition that we would go to the part of the world that I had felt very called to explore, which was South America. So yes, I'll move into a van with you and we're going to take it to another continent, even though I don't really speak the language very well, but let's do it anyway. Um, and at the time, my boyfriend was growing and, and being the founder of a digital marketing agency. And so two feet across the table from me every single day, I was watching him build this business. And that was really my first insight into what business is and how to like the, the challenges and what is required to create a company. Um, and, you know, as you do, you start to weigh in, you start to offer advice, you talk through problems together. And it became very clear to me over time that the things that were really obvious to me about his business and the gaps in his business and the gaps in his team, so clear to me, he was not seeing those at all. We were on totally different pages about that. And with enough time, I came to realize that I was actually seeing his business through a fundamentally different lens than he was. And through a series of odd events, I actually ended up joining that company for what was supposed to be you know, a 30-day sub-in for a person who had suddenly left. And I ended up staying on and becoming eventually the COO of that business because what I realized is that that unique lens is operations and it is a totally unique skill set that most founding CEOs don't have naturally but need to bring to the table in order to be as effective as possible and that is really I, where I got my start in ops and learning to like refine and hone and craft that skill. I love that. Okay, one one last thing that we can dove in, do, dive into the cool. ops mastery that I that I yes. think is so so brilliant. Um, we have a mutual connection, somebody that's been on the show that I know is a, a near and dear mentor of yours now. So okay. anybody listening, you can go check out episode 131 with Cameron Harold. And I saw this video that Cameron shared a while ago and he Thanks. put it on social media and it said, it was, this is, this is coming from Cameron's mouth. I wrote it down is I'll tell you, I think Jonna is like 25 or 26 years old. Absolutely. The smartest business leader that I've ever interacted with. And just so you guys know, if you didn't listen to that episode of Cameron, if you don't know Cameron, Cameron, uh, I guess I would classify him as a BFD. <laughs> Cameron, Cameron's <laughs> incredible. But but I mean, he has interacted with some really high level people, built multiple nine figure companies. And for for Cameron to say that Jana is the smartest business leader that he's ever interacted with is just absolutely incredible, which is so cool because I know you guys have partnered together on some stuff. But one yeah. of the things I wanted to ask you about before we dive into the op stuff, I think that ties into your work with Cameron is this concept of mentorship, because I think that mm. you have gotten to where you are today because you are so curious and you're so good at building relationships and learning from really high level people. So I would mm -hmm. love for you to maybe share a little bit, whether it's Cameron or the other people that have stepped up in your life, how you built those relationships and, and how you nurtured them over the years to build this uh, ability to be literally the smartest business leader that Cameron Harold knows. <laughs> 
that is it's a very kind words for sure and i and i couldn't believe he said that frankly um and i that is really like me hopping on his podcast and doing an episode much like this one that was the start of our relationship that has continued to nurture and is now a business partnership which is a very cool thing um i would say that the if i had to break it down into how did that happen and what are the core components of success that I've had in creating similar relationships with other BFDs in the operations space. <laughs> um, I would say it comes to a couple of things. Number one, the authenticity is actually really important. I think that these people get who knows how many messages every single day of people who want something from them. And it is all a faceless voice of people just asking and clamoring for their time and their attention to cut through the noise is a challenge. And the best way to do that is through authenticity, Show up being, showing up as a full-fledged, real human being with vulnerabilities and quirks and weirdness, because that makes you distinct as opposed to faceless amongst everybody else who is asking for their time, their energy, their attention. Uh, the second thing, and I learned this from one of my earliest operational mentors, Layla Hermosi. Um, and when I asked her like, why the heck I just asked her, why are you mentoring me? Like, why would you take your time to spend it with someone like me who is so many stages behind you? Uh, she told me that what she loved most about me was in our initial interactions. Every time she said something, I went and I actually acted on it. And yeah. it was so validating for her as a person who probably spews golden nuggets all day, every day, to have somebody actually take it to heart and put it to practice versus so many people who take that information and then do nothing with it. That was a key differentiator for her as well, because I think these people want to be mentors, right? As speaking as a coach and mentor now, it's deeply fulfilling to feel like you've transformed somebody's life, but you can only do that if they're willing to show up and do their piece of that relationship. And so if you can lead the relationship by action and by demonstration that, hey, I'm not going to waste your time. You are going to be a vehicle for my transformation and I take that seriously. That I think is sometimes all they need more than money, more than, you know, a really good outreach message. That's all they need to be like, wow, this person shows the potential to really be something. And I want to be a part of that journey. So powerful. A few things I want to dive in deeper and slash pull out. I had this yeah. really incredible experience when I was running the marketing for a company called Superhuman Academy. We were we were in Genius Network and I was at the annual event and Joe Polish, the founder of Genius Network, like asked everyone in the room. And this is a room for those that aren't familiar with Genius, like really high level business people. Um, and Joe Polish asked someone like who here loves mentoring and like almost every single hand mm. in the room went up, right? And yeah. so like, you're you're absolutely right. I think that there is this, huge desire to invest in someone. But in order to invest in someone, you have to know that the energy that you're investing in someone is actually going to pay off. And so I, I want to ask one finite detail that I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts, because what, what's worked so well for me in building relationships with my mentors over the years is not only taking action, but actively following up and expressing the impact that it's made in your life. I feel like that's yes. it's one thing to go and do the thing, which is a massive thing, but it's another thing to come back and actually report back as to what mm. happened. Because I think lots of these people share this insight and then it just goes off into the void and they never hear about yep. it. And that's actually yep. the basis of how these relationships form. It's that not yes. there's never a point where you're saying, hey, will you be my mentor? It's the fact that you took it, you implemented, you came back and say, hey, Thank you so much for sharing on this. This is what happened. This is what I learned. I appreciate you so much. And that Absolutely. loop of going back and forth is what elevates the relationship over and over. So I'm curious to see yes. if that's been your experience as well. 
1000%. And again, you have to close the loop because why are they doing this? They're doing it to receive the personal fulfillment that comes from having a transformation effect on somebody else's life. They don't know that they've had of that effect until you report back and let them know what the transformation was. And so if you're actually going off without that, like I think oftentimes we get in our own way as far as being like, well, we don't want to bother them. We don't want to take up their time. I want to, I want to be respectful of their time. Like I, I don't want to bug them. But actually what they're seeking is the update. What they're mm -hmm. seeking is the next set of questions that that sparked for you or the challenge that you ran into because that's what lets them know, hey, I actually had an impact. And without that loop completed, that's where they are going to let their relationship die off because they're not seeing the fruits of their labor. Mm. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna ask this without any context. Is it true that you were mentored by Jim Collins, or at least you were one of his students? How did that, how did that happen? <laughs> that uh, is a miscommunication. I have cleared up with Cameron. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, we were talking about good to great, and somehow it got jumbled that like I went to business school, which I did not, and that I was a student <laughs> of Jim Collins, which I have not been. But I do love his books, and so I would consider him to be. Uh, so many of my mentors are authors that I have never met for sure. A hundred percent. No, I, yes. I love that. And, 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 and the fact that, I mean, Layla Hermosi and Cameron, and like the fact that you're learning directly from these people, I just want to say for you listening right now, I think the biggest thing that I would love you to take away if you don't have a mentor at this point, or you haven't worked with the one is that it's possible. Right. And like these people yeah. that you look up to, that you listen on podcasts, that you read their books, they're real yes. human beings that want to contribute. And it just takes the guts like someone like Jana has displayed of just asking implementing, following up, expressing gratitude. Yep. And like, that's how these incredibly transformational relationships are built. So I love that so yep. much. Absolutely. And I would say that we now have the opportunity as mentees to lead again with action. You don't have to have a personal running with Layla Hermosi to hear some of her insights, put those to work, and then already start the feedback loop by getting back to her about how she's already transformed your life, right? All of us have the opportunity to start the relationship again through action as opposed to an ask. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so up until this point, people have gotten a little glimpse into Pirate Jana. They yes. have they have heard about hanging upside down on a monkey bars with a red dress and <laughs> learning about the power of underwear. <laughs> and, That's and, right. and, and, and we've 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 talked about uh, we've, we planted the seed about your zone of genius, and they heard from your bio about operations, right? And this is such, uh, it's so cool to see your thought leadership build. And you and I had, uh, uh the opportunity to participate in a, a group with a mutual friend of ours, shout out to Michael yep. Roderick, but it's been so shout cool out. to see your thought leadership evolve, uh, even yeah. in the time that we've met and just the fact that it's still, you're just doing some incredible things in the ops world. So I, I thought a great way to start is this foundational question about the world operations is what the hell is operations, right? Because it's, it's like, this is something we talked about in Cameron's episode. It's like, you can go ask, 10 CEOs, you can ask, you know, 10 different COOs and you can get 20 different answers as to what the hell operations is. So yep. <laughs> for the basis yep. of this conversation, let's start here. Yep. Would you mind sharing what operations is? Absolutely. And I will share my definition. And I will also say like, why are we starting here? Because if I was to ask 10 CEOs what the definition of sales is or the definition of marketing is, I would get 10 pretty close answers. I think everybody has a clear picture of why those things matter and what they do for a business. The fact that operations does not is one of the reasons I decided to start putting out content because it doesn't help, right? It doesn't help the CEO. It doesn't help the operator. It doesn't help the business. 
if nobody knows what the heck is this role even here for? And am I just bringing in an operator as an expense to my bottom line because everybody else tells me that I need it, but I don't actually know what this person is here to do, how to set them up for success and how to maximize their talent. And again, that unique lens that they bring to the business in order to get maximum leverage and return, right? So starting with all of that in mind, my definition of operations is any act required within a business to optimize a company's use of its core resources. Those resources are time, energy, money, human potential, and if you work in a, in a brick and mortar, physical capital, right? These are the resources that go to work every single day within your business. The job of an operator is to maximize the ROI so that everybody's time is being used to drive maximum value. Everybody's energy is working on their highest value drivers. Everybody's like the money you're investing, you're getting clear ROI on that and the human potential that you're creating an environment and an ecosystem in your business that invites people, genuinely invites people to bring their best to the table and put it to work for your vision. Operations is all the tools and resources required to do that. Hmm. Okay, so we've started with that core foundation. Another thing, and by the way, I read an incredible ebook that you wrote. If anybody wants to check them out, I'm sure you can go to spyglassops.com and get yep. scale your business while scaling yourself out of the day to day. So if you if you want to dive in deeper to all this stuff, I would highly recommend that you go check that out. And we'll have that linked up in the show notes. But so so another thing that I loved inside of this ebook that I read too is also the fact that. Uh, many CEOs don't actually know what a CEO does, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so, so like, I know we're starting with some of the the, the core bases here, but this is going to build up on the rest of this. So, one of the things that yep. you talked about in your book is your strategic vision versus innovative squirrel syndrome, <laughs> and mm -hmm. how like yeah. basically the the role of the innovator, the role of the CEO or the visionary or the initial founder changes over time. And so, I would yes. I would love for you to maybe share about the evolution of that, and then how that integrates with having an effective operations person as well. Yeah, totally. So if we're especially even just drawing these two kind of definitions together, right? At, at its root, the operator's job is to take the vision and turn it into a reality in the most efficient, effective way possible. They can't do that without the vision, which is where the CEO comes in, right? So the job of the CEO just primarily and, and throughout, no matter what stage of growth you're at, is have the vision for the business. Where the heck are we going? How are we going to serve our people? Who are the people we want to serve? And roughly, more or less, how are we going to get there, right? We've got goals, but how are we going to reach those goals? What is our pathway going to look like? And the challenge of being a CEO and like as a CEO now, I have so much empathy for my fellow CEOs who are, who are going through this transition, which is that when you start, your success is defined by everything you say yes to. You're in this period of rapid fire creativity, trial and error. Yes, I will try that, Mr. Client. And yes, we'll go after that niche. And yes, we'll try that new ad. And yes, we'll, yes, all the time to everything. Because that's how you identify product market fit and picking your niche and finding your core offer. Like you can't do that without the trial and error. And, but as you grow, as you start to scale out its team, that yes, always behavior and habit actually starts to actively stall out and stagnate your business. Because think of a boat that is actively really hard trying to row in five different directions. The net movement to the boat is zero. 
And so the more directions you start throwing at your team, because again, you're always just used to saying yes to everything and trying everything. What you find is that it starts to create a whiplash effect where your team is now actually trying to spend all of their days reacting to your new ideas, as opposed to proactively driving towards a single unifying direction. And that energy, if we're talking about optimizing energy here, that energy just gets dispersed. It's two people rowing really hard in opposite directions and the boat goes nowhere. And so it's one of the hardest behavioral shifts that I have to coach CEOs through, which is where before you've said yes to every one time you said no, it was like a 20 to one ratio. We need to flip that. Still have 20 ideas. To be clear, don't stop innovating. That is still your unique genius and role is have the vision and build how we're gonna get there. But recognize that that now means not chasing 20 different iterations on that vision. It's getting clear on one strategic vision and then having a bunch of different ideas of how we could get there and being willing to be very disciplined and filter out 19 of those ideas as no's and only going with the one idea that is actually going to move you closer to your goals. And it is really your operator's job, visionaries, because that CEOs, like that is not your natural state. It's like discipline and, and throwing away your own ideas. That's not where you want to be, right? So it's the operator's job to build that filtration system around you so you can continue to live in your zone of genius, but that constant idea flow doesn't create whiplash for your company. Yeah. I love that for so many reasons. And just to tie this into an experience that I've had, and I'll keep all the, the details anonymous, but I did have the opportunity of working with an incredible CEO, but he was definitely an innovative squirrel monkey syndrome, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And it, mm -hmm. it is so hard as a team that just wants to perform and wants to yes. crush things. But then when the direction is changing all the time or when their excitement wanes or whatever it is, it's like, well, shit, like, I mean, I can't even do my job here. And that just creates such a lack of momentum, a lack of yep. trust and, yep. and lots of frustration. So, so I'm going to build on this and ask, and this is a hard question, but I'm curious if you can maybe share, Jana, one of the patterns that's come up on the show is so many people don't know what they want, right? Mm. Like just plain, plain and simple, right? Like, yeah. so how do you yeah. create a strategic vision if you don't know what the hell you want? And I'm sure like, you know, you can even have the most successful CEO in the world and they might not even know what the hell they want still. Right. So like yeah. in these CEOs that you've coached, as they're making this transition of like, well, I've always been an innovative squirrel, like going and doing my thing. And now I have to actually sit down and commit to something like, what are yeah. some of the ways questions or thought exercises that you might encourage someone to ask themselves? Because this is an exploration conversation totally. internally of determining your strategic vision. That's in alignment with who you are and what you want to do in the world. Yes. And I think you just hit on it, Brandon. And I would also turn this question back to you because I think this actually squalls falls squarely within your zone of genius. It's something you're very <laughs> talented at doing. Um, but you just said it, right? Like we have to start with who am I and what is the effect I want to have in the world, right? Because I think the challenge most people run into with setting a strategic vision is that they set a monetary target. Okay, mm. I want to make X amount of dollars and now I have to reverse engineer across the literally thousands of options of ways there is to make money. And if I don't have any other guideposts other than what's going to make me money, none of those options come off the table. I have no way of making those decisions. And that's what, that's literally what shiny object syndrome is, right? Is like just mm -hmm. constantly chasing the next revenue play versus starting from a more fundamental level, level, which is realizing that you are the expression of your business because you're building this thing. And mm -hmm. so for you to be able to set yourself up for success in that, you have to get clear on why am I choosing this business model? 
Why am I choosing this client niche to serve and to target? What What is important to me about the impact I want to have, the type of business I want to work in? For example, a bunch of digital marketing agency owners that I know, which is a super labor intensive business model, who don't want to lead people and who hate managing, right? <laughs> cool. If we'd gotten clear on that at the beginning, we would have chosen a different business model, one that requires yeah. less team, right? So getting clear on like, again, what do you, what are your core values as a human being? How do you want to show up? What do you want your lived experience of running your business to look like? What is the impact and effect that you want to have in the world? And is there a segment of society that you feel really passionate about when you create that transformation for them? These are things to get clear on first before going out and asking yourself the question, what business model is going to make me money? Because these offer you a rubric against which to not say yes to things, but to say no to things. Digital marketing agency model, fantastic model, could absolutely make you a ton of money. But if you, but if it does not check the boxes as far as what you want your business to feel like as a founder, don't do it. There are plenty of other ways to make just as much money in the world, right? So when I start with CEOs, it's a challenge because they're already into you know the seven-figure run rate or beyond with their business. But we still have to bring it back to the basics of why did you start this company? What do you want this company to feel like? And is the model and the team you've set yourself up for actually going to help you accomplish that? And that is a very crunchy conversation to have. Oh, super crunchy. All the crunch. Yep. Extra All peanut crunch. butter crunch. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I, I love I love that answer for so many reasons because like this is a theme that's come up over and over on the show. But I love also how you shared about core values. And one of the ones that you shared earlier, yeah. which was one of your own core values, is compete with your own potential. And yeah. I think this work and and like I'm in a space right now where I'm going through this, I'm going through some transitions personally. And it's like this stuff is uncomfortable because so... it's 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 it comes associated with space and yeah. wide open space is very yeah. uncomfortable to deal with right and so yeah. i think it's it's very tying this into what you said before about competing with your own potential it's so easy to want to look at other people's businesses other ways of approaching things and say oh i should be doing that right instead yes. of really getting into that space of like what do I want? What do I value? What are my core values? What are my superpowers? Yes. And then how do I assemble from here? Those yes. are, and, and that requires time and space and uncomfortableness, right? Uh, because I've just seen time and time again, I, I don't even know what episode this is by the time we release this, but I think a hundred episode, 131 came out today, at least the time we're recording this. And it's like, I can't tell you how many people I've interviewed where it's like, it took all, it took them building several businesses that they hated <laughs> to yeah, realize, yes. holy shit, like I have to figure this out. Right. And so it's like, yeah. I, I think that's the thing is that this is a process and you have to give yourself that space and, um, not be so hard on yourself as you uncover uh, this, because this is uh -huh. a work of a lifetime, right? Yes, absolutely. And I would also say, Brandon, that like, if you want to shortcut the learning curve, the trick is creating more white space, right? So if you follow me on social, you'll see I am out in the desert. I'm up in the mountains. I am traveling. <laughs> For sure. I am constantly seeking distance from my business. And I do that intentionally. And I do that through the framework of like, this is productive value add time. Because without that distance, I don't have clarity. Without that distance, I don't have the peace to reconnect with myself and my vision and, and gut check myself and ask myself the question, am I still on track? 
And so if you're a CEO listening to this, who is feeling some like inner doubt right now about like, oh shoot, do I have the answers to these questions? How do I know that I'm on track towards building the business that I actually want? The first step I would recommend is creating white space, right? Mm. Give yourself time. And I think so many CEOs, we all, all of us get caught up in the, but my business needs me. I just got to grind. I just got to work harder. The way to success is more, right? And that is the trap that winds up with so many successful founders running businesses they absolutely hate because they didn't take time earlier in the journey to prioritize the one thing that only you can do in your business. You are literally the only person who can do this. It is the one thing you can never delegate, which is creating the vision. Mm -hmm. And they are so willing to hold on to all these other things that can and should be delegated to stave off the discomfort of the one thing that cannot. Mm -hmm. It's funny. This is reminding me of, I had a recent conversation because he was back on the show again. Dr. Benjamin Hardy wrote a new book, 10X is easier than 2X with Dan Sullivan. And uh, this wasn't a part of the recorded conversation. It was after our conversation, but we were talking about how Ben's observation is that every level of entrepreneurship is more woo. <laughs> There's right because because like this yes. this space this space of like sitting and just asking about yourself is more and more woo. And it, and the funny thing that Ben Ben brought up to me that I just laughed so hard about is that like when you look back at like let's say you have family members that are just not they're not in this world, right? They're sure. they're not entrepreneurs or whatever. Being an entrepreneur is woo, right? Like that right. is a baseline right. is already like whoa, yes. but like you know. Like it's it's one thing to have a business where you sell hamburgers, right? Like and and so many people can do that, and that's one level. But like really, the the this is where you and I have nerded out about Jana and just like had this uh-huh. conversation over and over again. It's like how do you find that alignment between yeah. who you naturally are and the way that you want to show up in the world and your natural skill sets, and find that perfect arrow that that wet that weaves through all of them. And so, yeah, yeah. it's um, yeah, we could talk about this for forever. And I'm, I we think could. there's lots lots of learning that anyone can have in just this part because this is like the most important part. But let's let's keep going with some of this op stuff. So Love I know it. you talk about in in your book the the main pillar. So we were kind of just inside of the uh-huh. pillar of strategy, right? Which is the most important thing because if you're going to bring on an ops person and they don't know where the hell they're going, right? Like um, you know, try rowing a boat in one direction versus five as you just shared. Um yes. one of the one of the things I heard you share actually on another podcast that you're on, I think you touched about it a little bit in in your uh ebook is that because the ops role is so flexible and it depends on your personality as a CEO, like what you let go of and who you start to integrate that, that question of like how to craft this perfect yin and yang relationship with yourself Uh, and your second in command is really uh, hard. And so I don't know if this fits in here, maybe, maybe it does or doesn't, but like you shared this really powerful tool about EHV and like leveraging this tool to determine how to make these first initial hires and start integrating some of this op stuff. So I would love for you to share that. Yeah, totally. So the to to tie some some continuity between the last conversation and this yes. one, because in my mind, guys, this is all related and we're talking tactical operations right now, right? Um, <laughs> even though it doesn't seem like it, it seems like we're talking woo-woo. The reality is, is that when you find that perfect arrow, the business that is a representation of how you love to show up and how you love to serve people, what you're creating is a business that is optimized for your energy and your human potential. Because what your business is going to ask you to bring to the table 
is what you are intrinsically passionate about doing in the way that you're intrinsically passionate about doing it. And that's how you get the highest ROI on yourself. As a founder and CEO, that is how you optimize for you, right? And mm -hmm. you're the most valuable asset in the business. So we got to optimize for you first. Then once we have that, we get to reverse engineer. Cool. I'm a CEO. Don't feel called to lead and manage people. Don't feel strong in doing that. Don't know how to do that. Fantastic. Now we can reverse engineer what the leadership team all need in order to take that responsibility off my plate. If I feel particularly called around the product fulfillment side of my business, but hate sales, great. We can delegate out sales, right? So from that flows everything else. We can reverse engineer the team infrastructure, the systems infrastructure that you need to grow your business in your zone of genius. And EHV, which stands for effective hourly value, is one of the tools that I train my operators on to do that. Your EHV, very simply, is the highest value add you can contribute with an hour of your time. And the whole art of optimizing time as a resource in your business is to make sure that everybody, starting with you, but working down through your entire team, are spending the most amount of their time doing their highest EHV activities. So that means, let's take a more tactical example, your account manager is spending most of their time hopping on calls with clients, building relationships, retaining those relationships, upselling them into new products. They are not spending their time running around in Slack, trying to track down client information, dropping balls and trying to pick them back up, tracking down client billing information and invoicing information. These things are necessary, but they're not high EHV. And so the purpose of operators and operations is to close that gap and give them the systems that they need to spend their time doing the thing that they need to be doing. For you as a business owner, what is your highest EHV? These are, again, the one core thing that nobody else can do except for you. It's a vision building. Again, that, that white space on your calendar is the highest EHV time because no one could do it except for you. Mm. It's living in your zone of genius. So if you're an amazing salesperson, you are going to hold on to the sales role for longer versus me, whose operations, I'm terrible at sales. I am hiring a salesperson because that is not my highest EHV from my business anymore. So the process that I walk CEOs through, and really, again, guys, I would recommend if you have an operator, this is their job. Their job is to optimize you as a resource, right? Running a time audit, identifying what is everything on your plate? What are all the tasks that fill up your day to day? And then systematically ranking them. I just do a one through five. What is your highest EHV? What is your lowest EHV? And we need to systematically, if we're talking about how do we hire and who do we hire and in what order do we hire? The people we hire are the people who are going to take the ones and the twos off of our plate because those are the things that you are spending the most amount of time in getting the least amount of value back from that is always going to be your highest leverage hire but the thing is is that this is a customized list to the ceo depending on your unique talents your zones of genius and where and how you want to show up in your business does that answer your question, Brandon? It was a bit of an overview. hundred percent. No, no, no. It's super, super valuable. So it, I would just highly encourage anyone listening to hit that backskip button and really 
maybe stop this episode like midway through and go complete this exercise. Cause I, I yeah. can't think of another, <laughs> another, another thing that would like be more valuable is like, if we're all running around, like you kind of described, it's like, we're all running around trying to find all this random shit all over the place when, <laughs> when yes. we're not, you know, it's like, it, it's determining somebody that might be able to fix that for you. And, and mm-hmm. that, just imagine how much that happens. So go do that time audit, write everything on your plate, rank them on a, sc- a scale of one to five with five mm-hmm. being the highest use of EHB. your EHB, yep. one being the lowest, and then leveraging this as a filtering mechanism to go and find people to fill in those gaps. Super, yep. super valuable. I think this is related to this. Um, but I, I, so, so let, let's kind of continue with this, but let's say you found some of these people and you're starting to build this team. The next component is empowering these people to Mm. then make their own decisions and continue to grow in their roles. And one of the things you also talk about is this concept called the magic vending machine. So I I, like, let's fill, let's fill this in. And maybe if it wasn't a perfect uh, fit inside of this world, explain the correlation between those two. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So again, guys, we're kind of walking through my six core pillars of a scalable business foundation. We start with strategy. We reverse engineer the team required to meet that strategy. And we hire them in order of lowest to highest EHV. The next core pillar is leadership. Great, you've got this team. How do we, again, optimize for their human potential? I think of human potential, Brandon, as like a a pot of gold sitting under somebody's mattress. It's (laughs) there. It's just a matter of whether you put it to work in your business or not. Your team every day is showing up with all of this creativity and all of this work ethic and all of this innovation The question is, are they putting it to work in your business or aren't they? And the answer to that question says, it depends on your leadership. So in how you lead them, in how you manage them, in how you set them up for success, are you asking them and inviting them to bring their best to the table? Or are you accepting and in fact, forcing them to show up at 80% or 60%? Because you can, that is a way, many companies run Mm -hmm. that way but it's just inefficient. Like, why would I, when I have all this money sitting under the mattress, right? So the magic vending machine is probably the number one leadership pitfall that I see people fall into in terms of accidentally, totally accidental, disempowering their team. And it works like this. If I was a member of your team, I was working at my computer all day, every day, and there was a magic vending machine sitting next to me on the desk. And every single time I had a question or a concern, or even I just like wasn't quite sure about something, I could just hit a button on the vending machine and out would pop an answer. I would press that button all day. And so (laughs) I'm just imagining like the rats in the lab, right? Like the little lever of like the variable pellets. (laughs) Give me, give me, give me. Give me me because it's there and it's convenient and it's easy and it's right. It's right 100% of the time. You will never get in trouble. You will never have the wrong answer because the button is always there. You will press it all day. And it has nothing to do with whether you're an A player. It has nothing to do with whether you're capable of critical thought and problem solving. There's a magic vending machine there. You're going to use it. And so I see a lot of leaders getting so frustrated and telling themselves that I must have a team of underperformers. I must have a team of B players because these people are coming to me all the time. They're asking me the same question over and over again, even though I've already answered it for them. Why is this happening? I must have hired wrong. When in fact, 
you're just showing up as the magic vending machine. And so they are using it, right? So the key guys, if you're seeing this and this is resonating from your team, the trick is how do we turn off the magic vending machine? Because when you take that away, then you get to see which of my team members actually had all this critical thinking and problem solving and innovation. They just weren't being invited to bring it to the table. And now they're really stepping up. And who are the people that are really upset without that magic vending machine? And maybe those are the people that we can get off the bus. A hundred percent. I love that. It's like, I'm imagining like a, the vent, you, you is the magic vending machine or like chat GPT, but built for your business that has all the answers, Pretty right? Much. Like, and so totally. it's just like weaning, weaning, weaning them off of that and empowering yeah. decisions to be made. And one of the people that recently came on the show that I would encourage anyone to explore, oh my gosh, I might be misspeaking about timeline. So it's either before this or after this. I don't know. Sorry. I apologize. But <laughs> Stephen M. R. Covey came on the show recently and he wrote the new book called Trust and Inspire. Um, and I think that would be a great compliment about how you can create uh, systems and yes. uh, conversations where you're empowering trust and in investing in people and entrusting them to make those decisions on your own and uh, make that ugly transition from being the magic vending machine, which I would assume is kind of what Stephen M. R. Covey would call about like command and control leadership. It's just like you yes. always have the answer. This is how it's done versus yes. trust and inspire is where you know what to do. You know the outcomes and I trust you to modify as you see fit or make the decisions that'll get us closer to where you want to go. Yes, absolutely. I'm writing that book down. That sounds fantastic. And and yeah, I think great. we're talking about the same thing. And again, guys, if we're just asking ourselves the more fundamental question of why would I? Why would I bother? Why would I go through the ugly transition? Why would I why would I relinquish control when I do know the right answer? And it is easier for me to be the magic vending machine every moment just to give them the answer. Mm -hmm. The reason why is because you can't scale a company where you're the magic vending machine. You can't scale yourself. Your time, your energy is finite. And so if you want to build a business that skills beyond you, if you have any dream at all of having freedom and flexibility alongside your business running, you can't be the magic vending machine because a company that is built to be dependent on you is a company that traps you in the weeds. And so there's not a right or wrong answer here. It's just a matter of, is that what you want? And again, do you want to build a company as efficiently as possible? Because your most efficient company is one that invites your team to do their own problem solving and make their own decisions and take their own actions. That company just moves faster because it's optimized for the human potential. 100%. I love this conversation so much. And this is why you and I get along so well because totally. we can play in the we can play in the woo woo land, like really, really well. But then it's like coming down to really concrete and tactical stuff, it. right? It's 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 the yep. marriage between those two. So so let's 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 talk about maybe like a really tactical way that we can banish the magic vending machine. One of the other things sure. that you talk about as a pillar is systems. And you integrate, you, you talk about this other concept called the, your single source of truth. And I think that this would at least be a great start if somebody's listening to this and they're like, fuck, I'm a, I'm the most magic of the most magic vending machines, right? So yes. how do you, yes. <laughs> how do you stop doing that? So talk to us yeah. a little bit about your single source of truth. Yeah, a hundred percent. Guys, your, your systems are your skeleton, right? Like they are the supporting infrastructure that props up your business so you don't have to, right? And so the single source of truth is a singular system that I train my operators on. Some people would call it a project management system. Maybe you are using uh, Asana for this or ClickUp or Monday.com or Airtable, right? There's a lot of tools out there for it. But very simply, regardless of the tool, they all work is it's a single system where your team is able to come 
to get the 80-20 of the information they need to execute entirely their day-to-day. If you're an account manager, the single source of truth is where you go to get all your client information and get statuses on what the the status of that client onboarding is and where that client address is and what their phone number is, right? As opposed to having to come to you and being like, hey, what's the deal with that client, right? That's magic vending machine. We've now taken all of the information that's in your brain and we've put it into a system so that that information, those answers can still be found, but they can be found without you. And the single source of truth is if, if there is one system that I recommend you build, it's this one because it's going to offer you the biggest savings on time and energy. Because when it's used correctly, all of a sudden, all of this chatter and all of this chaos that comes from the day-to-day of just like being disorganized, but having so many balls in the air, and now it's reactive chaos all the time trying to keep all of those balls in the air. The system is the safety net. The system keeps the balls in the air. The system keeps track of everything. And so all the time that was spent trying to track down information and keep balls in the air and keep things from getting dropped is now spent executing and driving revenue into the business. And I think, Brandon, if we just stop and think about like how much time is my team spending not actually driving value, right? Like not intentionally, but not actually doing the thing I'm paying them to do. It's a bit of a wake up call. How much time and energy and money you are spending to have a team just keep balls in the air instead of doing their jobs. And so the single source of truth is the one and done system that resolves that gap and lets your team get back to doing their jobs. Hmm. Okay. So I know you mentioned a few softwares and obviously I think you're, you're probably, you're, I'm assuming you're platform agnostic, right? Like you don't have like, or or do you, you can, it depends on the business model. My, my personal favorite is ClickUp, but I would, I have seen all of those scale and work well. Got it. Okay. So, so let's, let's get a little nerdy here, which I think is Mm -hmm. really, really fun. Right. So Mm -hmm. like in, in, in my mind, like I'm just thinking about just managing this podcast, right? Like there's like one of the interesting parts that I've done is I've taken all of the variables that would be associated with any client and I have all these or any podcast guests and I have all the automations where it's all in one spreadsheet. And there's a, there's yes. like one spot where, you know, the notes to this conversation, Jonna's bio, Jonna's phone number, Jonna's right, email address, right Jonna's there. assistant, like all that exactly. is right in one spot. And so yep. that in combination with another thing that I started doing, and I have a EA that's helping me with this right now. It's like, we've kind of got like this handbook or playbook that has a high level description of what happens in each of the categories and the links to the associated SOPs for it. So I guess I'm just kind of curious to say from a best practices perspective, if you were to kind of give like an 80-20, if somebody's hearing this and like, okay, I get it. Let me go set this thing up. Like what are some of those high value don't miss this regardless of what platform that you're using? Totally, totally. And so like that is your single source of truth, Brandon. You are just a systems nerd like me. So you built it yourself in a series of spreadsheets, right? Most CEOs, because systems is not their calling and they don't want to spend time figuring that out and how to organize it. My recommendation would be using a a software that is designed to do all of those functions for you. The core pieces of every single source of truth are a couple. And this is true regardless of the business model that you're in. Number one, your single source of truth is where you house client data and track client performance, generally through a series of client dashboards. It is where you do uh, SOPs and workflow and like uh, process management. So all of your SOPs are housed here. Your SOPs automatically fire tasks because they're built to do so. 
your SOPs and documentation are all housed in the same place as pillar number three, which is people's to-do lists. So that they aren't having to go to one sheet over here to figure out what they actually have to do. And then one list over here to figure out actually what tasks they have. Those two things are in the same place. And everybody, instead of working out of five things every single day, namely their calendar, their to-do list, Google spreadsheets and Slack and right, like all of these places that they have to be just to figure out what the heck is my job and what are my tasks today. It's just one place. They have a single to-do list that they are able to go every single day that has everything and is pulling in tasks from everywhere so that they check one place and they can just knock that out and execute. Um, your single source of truth is also where you have meeting agendas. So any meetings where tasks are being created can then be fired immediately into people's to-do lists. And then the final piece is project management. So major initiatives, major projects, major tasks are also housed here so that people are able to keep track of where are we at with this. And yep. the, the biggest thing that when you have all of these things working together in harmony is that you're automating communication. All of the communication that is currently happening in Slack, where it's like, Harry, where are we at with this? Did you do that task? All of the meetings where you're hopping on and you're saying, what's the status of this? Checking in on this. Are we done with this? Oh, that's done? Okay, give it back to me now. All of that manual communication can and should be automated. And it goes into this system. Mm, love that. Man, just imagine the power of having that. I want, it's huge. I have a, another super nerdy, uh, yes. detailed question. And I think this, I'll tie this back up to the magic vending machine. Because I think <laughs> part of the solution of a magic vending machine is having SOPs. But I know, I think you and I have talked about this or something's ringing a bell that like you talk about the balance between an SOP having all the to-do of what to have, but then also being yeah. flexible at the yes. same time and empowering people to actually expand and adjust them. So I'm curious yes. if you can maybe share a little bit about that duality of an SOP of like, this is how you do it, but at the same time, like empowering people to make those adjustments and, and, and update them so that it's most effective at all times. Absolutely. Because guys, I think back to the magic vending machine, one potential solution you may be thinking of right now is like, oh, so you're just telling me I need better SOPs so that instead of going to me with for the answer, they can go to an SOP for the answer. The challenge is they're still going to someone else, something else for the answer, as opposed to coming up with the answer themselves. The problem with the SOP is that it removes critical thinking because if I'm your boss and I'm telling you this is the capital R right way of doing this, why would you ever question that? Nobody ever would. You're telling me this is the right way to do it. This is how I'm going to do it. I'm not going to touch this. I'm not going to innovate on this. I'm not going to ask myself if there's a better way to do this. I'm just going to do it this way. And so the double-edged sword of SOPs, like I have SOPs, I use SOPs, but I always roll them out very carefully through the lens of, this is a work in progress. This is just what we think works best for right now. And now that this is your role, this is your SOP. Most of my team members, Brandon, build their own SOPs mm -hmm. because they step into the role. They figure out how to do it because I've given them the autonomy to do so. And then they build the SOP so that, and they are responsible for not just building it, but keeping it up to date. So if that they were to leave the business tomorrow, the best practices are now documented. Mm -hmm. So I love SOPs and I think there's a lot of benefits to them, but I think that people try and over-systemize their business to the point that they've removed all critical thought, all problem solving. There's an SOP for that. And now you have a team of like mindless drones going around executing SOPs as opposed <laughs> to thinking critically and like improving your business in real time. Yeah. Super powerful. And like just 
I'm just imagining some of the SOPs that I've created, like the magic that happens when you and when you have people that are like, well, what if we did it this way instead? It's like, hell yeah, that's yes. a way better way of doing it. I would have never thought totally. about it. So it's like, totally. I think the key words that you shared as you said that it's how you roll the SOP out. It's not the yes. function of the SOP, but yes. the empowerment that is associated with the responsibility of maintaining and being the one that owns that that exactly. particular process. Exactly. That's huge. The transfer of ownership is the key. This isn't my SOP. I'm not keeping this up to date for you. This isn't me telling you how to do your job. This is your SOP for you to be able to keep track of what's working best for you right now and for you to always be evolving it. I love this. Man, this has been so, so action-packed. There's so much gold in here. And I'm I'm tempted to ask one more operations thing, but I think you and I would just keep going for forever if I open this wormhole. So <laughs> okay. instead of doing that, I would I would love to to wrap up and 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 ask and we can find out about some of the projects that you have going on. But before yeah. we get to that, I love asking all my guests towards the end. Um, mm. what does happiness mean to you today, Jana? I know it's kind of a non sequitur from the ops world that we've been in, but I'd love, love to hear it. your your philosophy on what happiness means for you. I always gauge how happy I am with my life from asking myself the question, I this sounds so corny, but like if I was to die tomorrow, would I be okay with that? Mm. Genuinely. Or when I future pace to me sitting on my deathbed and I look at my life, happiness to me is the feeling of fulfillment and contentment that I would get knowing that with the time I had, I did as much as possible with it. I didn't get to everything. There's always more to get to. But yeah, I can genuinely say if I died tomorrow, I'd be bummed, but I'd be okay with it because the life I lived was a, a full one. And that to me is like the source of happiness. And that also includes like, am I happy in running my business? Well, is my lived experience of running this business one that I want and one that fills me up and one that makes me feel fulfilled? Because if so, I could die tomorrow and I'd have way more to do with this business, but I'd be proud of the business that I built so far as it exists today. Hmm. Epic. So beautiful. Don't want to add anything to that. Obviously, anyone can go check out Spyglass Ops and you can also grab the ebook that I read that was super, super powerful on there. But also, Jonna, I know you're working on some incredible new projects, new partnerships, and we, we kind of talked about your, your partnership with Cameron earlier. So would love yeah. for you to share about the incredible stuff that's going up. And if people want to kind of get into those worlds, whatever that looks like, what tell totally. us about it. Totally. Yeah. So as you guys can tell, I'm a total obstured. My passion at the end of the day is by is serving CEOs by serving their operators, because I find the operator to be this huge leverage point within your business to help you scale up and hit your goals. And so all of my product offerings are directed towards the operator, even though you, the CEO, are my client that I get to work with and your business is the one I get to transform. So our operation coaching programs, which are our core offer, uh, those are all designed to help your operator level up and implement everything we talked about in this episode, plus so much more into your business. My newest venture, which is literally going live in two weeks as of time of this recording, Woo! it's probably live when you're hearing this, is called The Op Spot. And this is what Cameron Harold and I have partnered up on to launch, which is a, it's a low ticket community for operators by operators. It is a place to come together and be an ops nerd to like have the discussions about the cutting edge of operations and this crazy working world we now live in. We're a community of people to help you navigate that, help you sharpen your skills, help you network with the people that you need to accelerate your career and your performance and your business. And all of that is happening in just one place. So that is called the Ops Spot. 
theofficepot.com is the website. You can go check it out. And I will see you. Me and Cameron Harold will see you there on the inside. Go check out the ops spot. Again, we'll have that linked up in the show the show notes. Man, that is so exciting, John. And I'm so excited for you and what comes this Thanks, is ben. this is huge. This is huge for you. Like when I found out all this stuff that you have going on. I'm just, it's like I said, before we even hit recording, maybe I've said a few times, it's just been such an honor to, to have you as a friend and to, to kind of see your evolution and to have all these deep conversations that I get to have with you for. So I'm so, so grateful for you. And I'm also Likewise. just going to really quickly have a conversation with our friends listening right now. And I just want to say, you could be listening to any other podcast. You could be doing so many other things, but there was something about Jana, the magic of Jana that has had you <laughs> hanging out for this entire time today. So I, I have one ask that I always ask whether you are a, a new friend or an old friend that's coming back every single week. And that is that podcasts have absolutely changed my life. Like legit, okay. this is why I'm so passionate about this space. And I believe that in every one of these episodes that are on my show, that there is something in here that can transform someone's life seriously. And I know there have been a few of those golden nuggets that have been dropped in here. So maybe there was something in here that just made you smile or you saw a reflection of yourself and Jonna's story about having the different versions of you, like how much right. that empowers you to show up in your relationships better. Or maybe it was some of the things that we talked about, like the magic vending machine or the ways that you can track your EHV, right? Imagine how much power that has if you can systematically leverage the highest value of yourself and all the people in your team. Like I said before, we covered the woo-woo, we covered the tactical. There's so yes. much in here. <laughs> that can absolutely transform someone's life. So my ask is, if you're listening to this and you heard one of those things, that you just take a second and you share this with somebody because you have no idea the impact that right. that can make in the world if you just share this with one person. So whether you choose to do that or not, though, I just so appreciate you for listening and for hanging out with us today. This has been so much fun. And Jana, any final things you want to say before we head off for today? No, I'm truly grateful to you guys as well. Thank you for listening in. And please, again, when it comes to mentors, never hesitate to reach out, to show up, to take action. I would love to hear from you and like work with you and serve you as well if there's a way in any capacity that I can do that. Love that. Appreciate you so much, Jana. And we'll be talking yeah. to you very soon, my friend. Thanks, guys.